0: Hey, Acts chapter twenty-seven, beginning in verse six, is where we're going to start. The title of this message is "Is Troubled Waters." To whom will you turn? Troubled waters. To whom will you turn? You know, we we just finished reading parts of the Declaration of Independence, and you know the the, the, the message, the resounding message from the American colonies of the mid to late eighteenth century. It, it was united and it was powerful. And that message to the King of England was this. Quite simply, if you maintain King George, if you maintain your present course of action, trouble will come. If you maintain your present course of action, trouble will come. And so also today in the Bible, we're going to be looking briefly at at a story in Acts chapter 27, in which the Apostle Paul looks people in the eye and says to them, If you maintain your present course of action, trouble will come. Trouble will come. King George of England, he refused to listen to the warnings given him. And he suffered the consequences. Let's now consider how those in Acts 27 responded to the the warning of a righteous apostle in the apostle Paul. Take a look at Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse six. Here we have Paul just briefly here. We have Paul imprisoned. Ready to be transported from Caesarea all the way over to Rome. And he's about he's about a, a, a quarter of the way through that journey. And he's been imprisoned for his faith, quite frankly. He's been imprisoned for being a Christian. And he's being sent to Caesar based on his own appeal. He says, I appeal to Caesar. And so off he goes in a ship. And this is where we pick up the story beginning in verse 6. By the way, the kids for VBS, they, they went through this story uh, during the week. So uh, we'll try to go a little bit deeper uh, than, than, the, than the kids went. But take a look at verse 6. It says this, there the centurion, his name was Julius back in verse 1, the, the, the centurion Julius found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. This is Luke writing on behalf of him and Paul. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty, itis, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone, passing it with difficulty. We came to a place called Fair Havens, near the city of the Sioux. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our very lives. Paul is on a ship with Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, and They're being transported, Paul imprisoned, Luke by choice on this ship, uh, following his beloved friend, and they're being transported to Rome. And on the journey, uh, we we, they come upon a place called Fair Havens. It's on the actually on the island of Crete, right in the center on the southern tip, uh, southern part of the island of Crete in the Mediterranean and. The timing was about late September, early October. That was the same time as the fast that is mentioned. I believe in, in uh, is it verse nine in the text there. The, Paul makes mention of the, or Luke makes mention of the fact fact in verse nine. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, and then Paul goes on to issue a warning. That fast, most likely the Day of Atonement in late September to early October uh, for for the Jewish uh, celebration, for the Jewish observance. And it was commonly known in the Mediterranean world that to sail after the fast, to sail much long after the Day of Atonement was a risky proposition. It was a bad time to go sailing. In fact, by the time November hit, no one, and I mean no one, Went sailing on the Mediterranean Sea back in the first century. They would be on hiatus for three, perhaps four months. There would be very little uh, passage of ships. And Paul's warning, uh, warning the crew and the captain and the helmsman and Julius the centurion, who is who's uh, taking him in chains. He's saying, "Look, man, I, I've I've traveled on these seas before." And he had. Paul had had some ten voyages, maybe even eleven voyages. In the Mediterranean up until this point. He had traveled at least some thirty five hundred miles the span of our nation. He knew of the danger that lie ahead. And of course the, the, the helmsman knew, the, the, the owner of the, the captain of the ship knew, the centurion knew. It's not like they were new to uh, or novices to sailing on the open waters of the Mediterranean. They knew what lie ahead. And so Paul warns them in verse 10 Men, I perceive. That this voyage is going to end in disaster and loss of the cargo, of the ship, and even our very lives. We pick up the story in verse 11. Take a look at how they respond. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete on the other end of the island, opening toward the southwest and the northwest and winter there. Uh, Continuing to verse 13, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. And so here we find their response to Paul's uh, Paul's warning. You know, among the many reasons that uh, that King George of England, some 250 years ago, among the many reasons he tried to maintain a strong grip on the American colonies, uh, money was a huge factor. It was a huge factor. England and Great Britain, they they greatly benefited from trade with the colonies. They were bringing from the Americas new goods and and, and new foods and new opportunity with them each and every time they traded with their partners in the American in the American lands. Of course, new lands also meant new taxes. And we've always heard the the adage that no taxation without representation, which was the cry of the patriots of that day. And so King George was motivated to bring the trade and to bring the taxes his way, to bring money, to bring the comfort of having new products his way. In the American colonies, they had greatly enhanced the, the net worth and the power of the British Empire. No wonder, no wonder that he held so tightly to these colonies. Here in Acts 27, we, we probably see some similar motivating factors to a lesser degree, no doubt, but nevertheless present. Notice the owner and the captain, they're the ones discussing with, with Paul and the centurion the details of this trip, and they're, they're trying to deliberate what to do. But of course, being the owner and being a captain of a ship, you don't get paid unless the ship what? Sets sail. And besides that, they're not only motivated by money, but also motivated by the comforts of life. They didn't like the harbor they were in. The harbor where they were at in Fair Havens, it was okay, you know. Kind of like San Pedro versus Dana Point. Of course you'd rather go to Dana Point, right? Right? Okay. You know, I want, I want a little more luxury out there. I want to make a little more money. There's a few more people who are about to board the ship in Fair Havens. Come on, let's push it. Let's push it. Let's go just a little bit further, just, just 40, 50 more miles up the island, and then we'll winter there. Money, comfort, these were things they were motivated by. And so rather than take the advice of Paul, a man of God, the men decided to press on in their own wisdom and desire for these things. And I ask you the question. You now, many of you uh, have come here today, your children came to VBS, and and they had a wonderful week of learning about God's Word and and. We send our children uh, to hear these truths and yet when we come to church, when we hear the Word preached, when we hear men and women of God giving advice and and reading the Word and, and instructing us, are we responding? Who do you turn to when you need advice? To a man or woman of God or do you seek the answers of the world? Who do you turn to when... When the, the, the deliberation is between, you know, should, should I go for the money and the comfort or should I listen to someone who's been through life a little bit longer, who's, who's been through this book a little bit longer, who may have some wisdom for me? How often do we shun the advice of a godly person and embrace the wisdom of this world? And yet, as we do, we, we try to justify it, right? Well, you know, I'm just, you know, just going to go forward because there's a little bit more money to be made and a little bit more pleasure and comfort to be had. So I'm just going to veer this way for a little bit. And, and as, you, as you make that choice, you justify it. Boy, you find anything you can find to justify that decision. And in fact, that's what happened in Acts 27. It says, that, and a soft wind started to blow. And the the captain and the owner and the centurion they all went. See, see, it's it's clear. The coast is clear. Let's go up. Let's go up just forty, just fifty more miles. Look, there's a little breeze. It's just perfect for what we need. Grasping on to any justification to pursue money and to pursue pleasure. Pick up the story in verse fourteen. But not long after a tempestuous headwind arose called Euryclidon. So when the ship was caught and we could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clada, we secured the skiff with difficulty or the lifeboat. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, The next day they lightened the ship and on the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Having received that that little bit of justification to pursue money and to pursue pleasure and to cast aside godly wisdom, they set sail at just the smidget of a south wind. They said, see, let's go. The time is right. And so off they went. And, and yet, right on their journey in verse 14, it says a tempestuous headwind. In Greek, it's from word From the English word typhoon. There was a typhoon of activity upon the water not even a day after they had set sail. And the ship got caught. This Euryclyde on this this northeasterly wind, it just pushed pushed the ship out into the Mediterranean. They were going to go along the coast of Crete and just get to the edge where Phoenix was, where there was a pleasurable harbor, a great place to, to winter. And yet they got spun out to the Mediterranean into deep, deep waters with no islands in sight. Look at all the attempts they did to save the ship. Did you catch it? On on the one hand, they took took shelter by trying to steer near another island called Clada. So they steered underneath it, but then that didn't work. They, They tried to secure the lifeboat. They barely got the skiff on board. They used cables. They threw cables underneath the ship and wrapped it around to hold the ship together, no less. It says that uh, fearing that the, the Sirtis Sands, which were sands on the northern coast of even Africa, they were worried that they, had been, they were being blown that way and they couldn't see because there was no sun. The, the, the typhoon was so intense that the clouds had covered them. They had no direction. Fearing that they were going to crash into North Africa, they, they lowered the anchor and just started dragging in hopes that they would start dragging and break a bit. They threw cargo overboard. They threw the ship's tackle and equipment overboard. They did everything they humanly could to save their ship. And yet they had already shunned the wisdom of a godly man. There were some 300 men on board that ship, Luke recounts. And now they were all scrambling to save their lives. And unfortunately so, because they could have just remained in Fairhaven's Creek. But in the midst of the chaos, the very man who they had once shunned stood up to speak. And notice what Paul says. He stands up and in the midst of after a few days of this torrential storm and downpour, Paul stands up and, and it goes on to say this, verse 21. But after long absence from food, Paul stood in the midst of them and he said, Men, you should have listened to me and not as sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who set sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God, that it will be just as it was told me. Now, despite its translation in verse 21, uh, Paul is not saying, See, I told you so. Okay? That's not what he's saying. Someone who says, See, I told you so. Ha ha ha. Someone who's saying that is usually someone who's in a position of strength. And Paul, being in chains and being himself in the midst of the storm, threatening his own life, is not exactly in a position of strength. He is compromised just like the rest of the crew. So instead, when we read verse 21, when Paul goes on to say, men, you should have listened to me and you should have not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. In effect, what Paul's saying is, hey, look, don't you remember? It was me. It was I who said, if you continue in this present course, there will be trouble. Of course they had remembered that it was Paul who had said that. And verse 21 in effect, is Paul's attempt to gain the credibility he needed to now give these men another dose of godly wisdom. I think of the Greenwoods, you know they mentioned in their testimony, how they are establishing credibility with the people of Ecuador. They've, they're working, serving in the cafe, Dr. Greenwood is ministering to the people through medicine. They're not just going down there with a Bible and saying, hey, uh, we're the Americans, we know all about this, and uh, let us teach you the Word. No, they're not doing that. They're doing it the way the Bible teaches us to do it, and that is gain credibility. Start loving the people. Start ministering to them. Start praying for them. Don't just open up the Bible and try to preach to someone and expect them to change their hearts. I mean, that would just be foolish. And myself as a pastor, I need to remind myself about that every day. You know, much of my job is to preach and to teach. And yet, if I don't maintain relationship with the people, all my words are in vain. If, if I have no credibility, then anything that I'm preaching is understandably going to fall on deaf ears. Save what the Holy Spirit can do even through a a sinner's words. Paul was establishing credibility. He's saying, look, man, do you remember? I was the one who warned you. And they say, yes, yes, we know, we remember. And Paul says, look, look, now listen to me. I was right here, but now listen this time. And he gives words of hope. He says, take heart. There will not be loss of life, only of the ship. For I saw an angel... The other night and this angel came to me and said, do not be afraid, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. The apostle forever, a messenger of God conveyed words of hope given to him by the angel. The ship would indeed sink, but their lives would be saved. And, and notice, did you did you notice carefully verse 24? Look what it says. The angel says this to Paul. Don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, note this, God has granted you all those who sail with you. You know what's implied by that statement? That the Apostle was praying for the very people who had shunned Him. God has granted you, Paul, all those who sail with you. What we, what we see, what we can infer from that statement from the angel of the Lord, is that Paul, even despite the fact that he was in chains because of some of these people, even despite the fact that they listened to his, his comments and his wisdom and they mocked him and they said, no, 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 we're going to continue on our course. Despite all of that, Paul got on his knees and prayed. For these people. He asked God to bless them. He asked God to watch over them. He asked God to deliver them from their troubles. What else can these words mean? That God has granted you all those who sail with you. If not, that Paul had been fervently praying for the deliverance of the crew. Praying for those who had shunned him and who had put his very life in danger. You know, that reminds me of another who prayed the same kind of prayers for those who shunned Him. It reminds me of another who sought the comfort and the peace of those who were most hostile to Him. Paul's example reminds me of another who on the night of his death beseeched God to forgive the very ones who hung Him on the cross. You know of whom I speak. Jesus Christ prayed. He prayed for you and for me. He prayed for the whole world even as He was being shunned. Even as they hated Him. Even as they were nailing Him to the cross. And the famous words... We read in the Gospels, Jesus said in some of His final breath, He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Are you in troubled waters? To whom will you turn? We should know that with trouble comes hope and redemption. And... For Jesus, dying on the cross for our sins, in His last thought, His last mind was, Lord, forgive those, even those who are putting me on this cross. Even in the midst of His troubles, He was asking for hope and for redemption. And friends, that's why we put on BBS this week. That's why your kids and your grandchildren came here this week. Because we were telling them day after day after day, that despite the troubles of life, despite the heartaches, despite the suffering, despite the broken families, despite the difficult financial times, despite all of these things, that despite chaos in the world and even in our nation to an extent, despite all these things, in the midst of trouble, there is hope and there is redemption. And it is found not in worldly leaders. It's found not in money. It's found not in pleasure or in comforts. It's only found in God's Son, Jesus Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will be saved. And I urge you this morning to do that if you've never done that before. Ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior and He will give you everlasting life. Remember, friends, in the midst of trouble comes opportunity for hope and redemption. In the midst of our forefathers' struggle against a tyrant came the birth of a great nation. In the despair of a violent storm and probable death, by God's grace, the lives of Paul and the crew were spared in Acts 27. And in the darkness on Calvary some 2,000 years ago, as God's Son died on the cross... Three days later, He rose again from the grave. The trouble was put down. And the hope and resurrection was lifted up. And Jesus rose from the grave, forever putting sin and death behind Him, offering you and me new life if we believe in Him for it. In the midst of trouble, there is always opportunity for hope and redemption. But we need to seek the Lord and godly men and women who will remind us of the hope that we have in the midst of life's storms. Friends, if you're going through any storm of life today, and I have no doubt many of you are, I encourage you, stick around today. That's what this community is all about. We're not just going to go out there and just eat bratwurst. Um, We're here to pray for one another. We're here to love each other. We're here to to listen to each other's struggles and each other's joys. And if you're new here today for the first time, I invite you, you're, you're very welcome to be a part of this church, to be a part of also Church on the Solid Rock, our friends here today. You are very welcome here. We want to help guide you through life's storms as the Lord has guided us. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank You for this morning. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for a simple story of trouble and of hope and redemption. We see that, Lord, in our nation's history. We see that time and time again in Your Word. Most importantly, Lord, we see that in Your Son, Jesus Christ, who in the midst of His trouble prayed for us, prayed for our forgiveness, no less, and has invited us to believe in Him that we might live with You forever. We cling to that promise, Lord. We let go of the things of this life and we cling to the promise of eternal life which is given to us by faith in Jesus Christ. In His name we pray these things. Amen.